Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Good morning, good morning, good morning, church. Good to see you all here. Really good to see you all here. Thanks for braving the elements, like PQ said. Thanks for coming out and just being in the house of God. Can you believe that we are already basically in the second month of 2022? Like, I'm telling you guys, it's like two days ago I finished opening up my Christmas presents. And it's already February, like for real, you know. Um, You know, so as we kind of look at this new year that literally, and I mean, PQ just gave a bunch of awesome things that are happening. I mean, like for some of us, I'm sure we all kind of feel the same way. 2022 has just hit the ground running, right? As we look at it, as it starts to unfold, I got to ask us though, you know, um, just rhetorically, how's it going? Think about it. Is all going well? All is well with your year, is it? You know, that answer probably looks a little different to each and every one of us this morning. Um, I was thinking about it. You know, the beginning of the new year brings about lots of things, new projects, new resolutions. Of course, since it's basically February, most of the New Year's resolutions for the gym are pretty much wrapping up. (laughs) We'll see you in 2023. Planet Fitness 2023. All right. So, yes, yes, yes. So I was kind of thinking about that. And, you know, another hallmark of a new year is tax time, right? You know, yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah. So I thought this morning that I would start off with a little tax story to kind of get your blood flowing on this cold morning. So, you know, let's uh, let's hit the rewind button back in the early thousands. I'm a young guy um, doing my first uh, full-time ministry job at a church, and um, I get this letter in the mail in my box at the church where I'm working. So let's fast forward a couple of years before that moment to the first time I moved away from home and uh, went and worked out of, uh, out of state. Um, from those of you who don't know, I'm originally from Louisiana, so I was leaving home for the first time to go work in the great state of Texas. And uh, anybody, any Texans here this morning say amen? No, we got a couple. All right, we got a couple. But anyway, so when I was leaving... My father, who was my pastor at the time, decided that he was going to take an offering to bless me and send me out, right? So when it came time the next year for tax time, I'm, I don't know any different. I'm just doing, you know, I've got this little thing. You know, my, my taxes weren't very complicated back then, right? So I went ahead and filed. And after I file, I get this envelope in the mail that has the church's, my dad's church's address on it. And, uh, and I open it up, and I'm like, what in the world is this? And I call him, and I'm like, I don't even understand what this document is. He goes, oh, that's the 1099 for the offering that we took for you. And I was like, oh, I mean, I already filed. So what do I do? He's like, well, I mean, the amount's not that great. You know, you, know, you don't, really what you need to do, Tommy, is you need to refile and you need to claim that. And I'm like, well, it wasn't that big a deal. I'll just skip it. <laughs> I was not trying to defraud the federal government, gang. I was just being lazy, just straight up lazy, right? And sure, they're not going to catch it. Well, the Lord in his grace and sovereignty instructed me on, you know, giving to Caesar what is Caesar's. And a couple of years later, I get this letter in the mail at the first church that I'm working at full time and all this stuff. And I'm like, IRS, what is this? Open it up. And it says, hey, 
We noticed a couple of years ago that you didn't get your taxes right. So we've taken the liberty of amending your O3 return, and here's what you owe us. <laughs> yeah. So I get on the phone and uh, do what all grown men do. I went and cried to my mom. I'm like, Mom, I just can't believe this. I don't understand this. I'm like, and then I stopped for a second, and I was like, no, I know what this is about. And then I remembered, I said, you know what? That's right. This is on me. This is the consequence for not doing it right two years ago. I said, I'm going to talk to you later, Mom. And I hung up the phone, and the church that I was working at at the time, I'll never forget, uh, they had these, um, they had like a big open floor, but then uh, not, they didn't have a balcony, they had um, like stadium-style seats towards the back of it. And so underneath um, all of those seats in the sanctuary, there were storage areas under there. So I went and found a door into one of those storage areas, and I went and I prayed. And I said, God, um, you know what? I have no one to blame for this but myself. Um, I didn't do what was right two years ago, and you know what? I'll do whatever I have to do to make this right. Uh, God, I'm not going to stress about this. Uh, I got to take care of it, and I'm just giving it to you. So I'm just putting it in your hands. I know it's on me, but God, I'm just going to trust you in this, and I'm just giving this situation to you. And I walked out, and probably less than 30 minutes later, I had been working at the church for a year at this time. The pastor's secretary walks in my office and hands me an envelope. I said, what's this? She goes, oh, well, you've been here a year, so this is your bonus that you get for your first year here. But when I opened up the envelope, it was just what I needed to take care of the fine. So I grabbed my phone, and I did what any grown spiritual man did. I cried to my mom. <laughs> oh, my God, Jesus was so much. I just wouldn't believe it. He's so good. He's so good. So, so I took care of the bill, took care of taxes, and I have ever since that day been much more fastidious about the records that I keep to the Internal Revenue Service. So, you know, the interesting thing about that moment, though, is um, the moment that I chose to give it over to God and to trust him with it, there was almost an instant response that took care of it. Now, you would think that even though it wasn't that big of amount, God's handling of the situation would be proof enough that I could look at any situation going forward and believe that as a child of God, all would be well, right? Absolutely. From that moment on, I never faltered in my faith again. Sadly, that has not been the constant case in my life, and I dare say it probably hasn't been the constant case in many of our lives in here either. For those of you that it has been the constant case, I want to talk to you after service. You need to pray for me. So I find times, honestly, just being real, you know, I find times where I struggle to trust in God's goodness on a consistent basis. And like I said just a moment ago, I imagine that many of us, we've all gone through hard times where we wondered if God would see us through. So if we look to Scripture this morning, since that's the best place to look, I'd like us to take a look at uh, the example that Paul gave us, a great example that Paul gave us to follow. Turn with me this morning on your phone and your Bible and whatever you have to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, and this is Paul writing to a young minister of the gospel, Timothy. And he is saying to him right now, that is why I am suffering here in prison. So if you go back through verses 1 through 11, 
Paul is encouraging Timothy. He's telling him, this is where he's like, I saw the great faith that you had, you and, and your mother and your grandmother, and just telling him like all of the, the great things that he's seen in his life, and he's encouraging Timothy, right? If you go look through that, you know, we don't have time for this morning, but all of those verses from 1 to 11, there's great encouragement and him talking to him in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Let me throw that reference out again one more time for those of you who were curious. But then he goes to say something that is why I am suffering here in prison. So all this encouragement, telling him, preach the gospel, exhort, give the word of God to people. Right, Timothy? You just go ahead on and do it as, as, as myself and others are doing. That's why I'm in prison. But I am not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust, and I'm sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul is writing this letter whilst in chains, bound in prison. Yet his trust is in the one he, what? He knows. Scripture says, for I know the one in whom I trust. It's simple. It's simple, everyone. The more that we know someone, the more that we trust them, right? That's just, that's relationships 101. The more you get to know somebody, the more trust that you put in them. And Paul was in a state, as he wrote this letter to Timothy, where there was such a knowledge of the power and the peace and the presence of God that even in the midst of being jailed for preaching the gospel, he could say, I know the one in whom I trust, and I am confident or I am sure that he will keep what I have entrusted to him until the day that he returns. What did Paul entrust to God? What did he entrust to him? His very life. Paul had given his entire self, spirit, soul, and body to the cause of Christ. I have entrusted my entire life to the one that I know, and I'm confident in his ability to take care of me until I go home or he comes back. Amen? That is what was able to be said out of the mouth of someone in the midst of of a very tough situation. He had entrusted his life. It was a decision to trust God with his very life no matter what because he knew God. Now many of us know the walk of faith that Paul had, but this morning what I wanna do is I wanna share another story from God's word that some of us may not be as familiar with. And this is gonna be a pretty lengthy passage of scripture. So um, I want you guys just to take a good listen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of 2 Kings chapter four. 2 Kings chapter 4, where you were in the New Testament, hang a really big left, big left. Go all the way over to 2 Kings chapter 4. And we're going to be in 2 Kings for the remainder of the morning here. I'm going to start reading in verse 8, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. When you get there, say, oh yeah. That's what I'm talking about. I like it. Okay. One day, Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever she passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. She said to her husband, I'm sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. 
One day, Elisha returned to Shunem, and he went up to his upper room to rest. He said to his servant Gehazi, tell the woman from Shunem, I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her, we appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied, my family takes good care of me. Later, Elisha said to Gehazi, what can we do for her? Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son, and her husband is an old man. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, next year at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant, and at that time, the following year, she had a son just as Elisha had said. I mean, you know, as PQ says, that's a good day, amen? Verse 18, one day when her child was older, he went, out to his, um, he went out to help his father who was working with the harvesters. Suddenly he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home and his mother held him on her lap, but around noontime he died. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and left him there. She sent a message to her husband, send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Why go today, he asked. It is neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath. But she said, it will be all right. So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to. As she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance. He said to Gehazi, look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her and ask her, is everything all right with you? Your husband, your child? Yes, the woman told Gehazi, everything is fine. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. Then she said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? Verse 29, then Elisha said to Gehazi, get ready to travel. Take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's face. But the boy's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. So Elisha returned with her. Gehazi hurried on ahead and led, uh, laid, the, sorry, and laid the staff on the child's face, but nothing happened. There was no sign of life. He returned to meet Elisha and told him the child is still dead. When Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone, shut the door behind him, and prayed to the Lord. How many of you know that's a good thing to do? Then he lay down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, his hands on the child's hands, and as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. Elisha got up, walked back and forth across the room once, and then stretched himself out again on the child. This time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. You know, that's some powerful sneezes in Jesus' name. Then Elisha summoned Gehazi, called the child's mother, he said, and when she came in, Elisha said, here, Take your son. She fell at his feet, bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. Then she took her son in her arms and carried him downstairs. How many of you know that was a good day? All right? Now, what an amazing account of walked out faith, okay? It's a really long passage of scripture. We probably could have summed that up, but you can tell somebody now on the street, hey, have you ever heard the story of the Shunammite woman? No. I'm glad you asked. Let me go ahead and tell you. So, woman doesn't have a child. She gives a gift. Has a child, child dies, goes to the prophet, believes for God, God prays for the son, son comes back to life. That's the story in a nutshell. 
okay? An amazing, an amazing account of walked out faith. But if we look a little closer, there's some fine points I want us to see from the account of this Shunammite woman. Now in verse nine, she decides to give to the man of God. That's the first thing she did. That's the first thing that we see here. Because this woman knew how to walk a life of faith, all right? She gave in faith, right? She decided to give to the man of God. Now we see this is not just a gift to Elisha, but it's a gift to God. What did she do? She said, I see this man as a prophet. He comes, he, I, I see he's a man of God. He comes, he, he comes and he eats in our home. Why don't we build a room for him when he's traveling so he can rest from his weary travels, maybe spend some time praying, get alone with God? I mean, you know, that's, that's a very thoughtful and kind gesture, right? He didn't ask for it. He didn't come and say, listen, I appreciate the meals. Can you give me a hotel room, right? From her heart, she said, I want to give something to the man of God. It wasn't just a gift to Elisha, it was a gift to God, a gift that she gave in faith. Faith in what? Faith that he would use it, right? He could have said, oh, I appreciate the gesture, I'm gonna go ahead and there's another place I stay at. Thanks though, I appreciate it. She built it in faith that he would use it. She built it in faith that he would receive blessing from it. She didn't make this decision to garner favor. Hey, Elisha's coming today. We build that room for him. Maybe every time he comes, he'll give us a word from the Lord. It's tempting, right? If you know somebody that you have a good relationship has a direct line to God, I'd be like, you know, hey, man, how you doing this morning? You got anything for me? Right? She didn't do that. Bible doesn't say that she did that. She did it in faith, she, and, and, she, it, and she could have done it in her house. Hey, look, here's a room inside my house. She kept it private. Like, look, on the roof, you can go. No one's going to disturb you. This is for you. This is for you to get along with God. And she gave in faith, and what did it produce? We see in verses 16 through 17 a promise from God and a promise fulfilled. What did he do? He said, I want to bless you for blessing me. Next year, you're going to have a child. And you can see from her response in verses 16 that obviously this is something that she and her husband had probably discussed at great length. Why? Because of her response. Please, please don't get my hopes up like that. Can you hear the, can you hear the struggle? All of the subtext in her voice, all of the years, who knows how many times they had tried and failed. Who knows what they had gone through. Man of God, please don't look. I appreciate all you've done. You've blessed my house. But like, man, listen, that's a really delicate subject in this house. Do not get my hopes up like that. But the Bible says in verse 17, sure enough, that time next year, she had a son. So we see a promise that she didn't even know was inside of her. And then we see a promise fulfilled. God knew what was within her. The more that we surrender our lives to God, church, the more that we become like him. There will be times where we are called to give something where God will call us to give of ourselves. But there's times where it's something we will do just because we know it's what God would do. The closer that we walk with God, the more that we are like him. So in faith she gave, and in response, she received God's promise. All right, so the first thing that she did was she gave. She gave in faith. But of course, we see that the story doesn't end there. As surely as the sun rose the next day and the woman's life continued, you know, what was her walk like years down the road? How was the kid? Was it good? Was it bad? Did the husband, you know, how, you know, how did it go? What happened as she continued to live in the promises that God had given her? Well, if you go to verse 18 through 20, it shows us that one day the promise that God made to her was come against. And in the natural, it was defeated. 
The promise that she had been given from God was stopped, dead, quite literally, in its tracks. What did she do? What did she do there? In verses 20 through 30, they detail how the Shunammite woman responded to this. And the single word that I could say for it that describes it is, she prevailed in faith. In verse 27, after she encounters Elisha's servant Gehazi and she speaks with him, we see that she meets uh, Elisha himself on the mountain. And what does it say that she does? She throws herself at his feet and she refused to be moved until there was an answer from the man of God. She sought an answer, and she was going to prevail until she got one. That phrase in verse 27, caught hold of his feet, your, some of your Bibles may say it, different versions, but basically the, the, the phrase there is caught hold of his feet. In the biblical language, it means to fasten upon, to prevail, to seize, and to conquer. So an interesting thing to see is her response after her son has died, and as she began the process of prevailing over the situation concerning her son and promise from God. So let me reread verses 22 through 26, but in another translation. Go back to verse 22. It says, Then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of your servants and one of the donkeys, that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Why will you go to him today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. She said, All is well. Then she saddled the donkey. She said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi's servant, look, there's a Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with your child? And she answered, all is well. So in verse 23 and 26, when she was asked how she was doing, she answered both times, all is well. Did she lie? You know, was she embarrassed about her son passing away even though he was a, a promised child? Why did she answer that way? You know, it's impossible to know the true state of her mind, but one thing that could be taken from her response is this. She was firm on getting to Elisha, and when she found herself before him, she firmly fixed herself at his feet and began to remind him of the conversation she had had with him years before. What did she say? Did I not say no, man of God, don't deceive me. Did, did I ask for a child? I, I didn't ask for a child. I, I just gave in faith. I didn't want to get blessing. I didn't want, you gave me this promise. You, and, and, and did I ask for that? Did I ask for that? Did I say not to get my hopes up? And what is the response to that? I don't think she was being sarcastic. I don't think she was throwing attitude towards the man of God. I think she was there in desperation. I have been through so much. I have been through so much with this process of trying to get a child. I had given up hope on it. You gave me the promise, you fulfilled the promise, and I lost the promise again. Did I tell you not to get my hopes up? I want an answer. I need an answer. Again, I don't think it was any sarcasm. I don't think it was any ill will. I don't think she was just desperate for an answer from the man of God. Okay? And she fixed herself. She prevailed at his feet, and she said, you know, I, I want an answer. I want an answer. So Elisha tells his servant to go ahead in verse 29. What does he say? He tells Gehazi to go ahead and attend to her son, acting as a representative of the man of God. Does she get up? No. 
She is not moved. She prevails in her determination to see an answer to the problem with her promise. Verse 30, the boy's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. So Elisha returned with her. It's almost as if she was saying, one way or another, I'm going to get an answer from Elisha who gave me this promise from God himself, and I will take no other answer than from Elisha himself. And at the end of this, one way or another, all will be well. I'm going to get an answer about this. God, I don't understand. I don't know what's going on. So right now, I'm not telling anybody. I'm not running all over, spreading my problems and, and, just, I, the, and my misunderstanding. I'm going to put what's going on right here behind a door, and I'm going to get to the man of God, and I'm going to get to God himself, and I'm not going to stop until I get an answer. And one way or another, whether you give me an answer or you give me back what's promised, all is going to be well with me. She prevailed. Church, there may be a time where we walk in darkness, where the very things we felt God promised us have been taken. And in those times, will we continue that walk of faith? If we don't understand, will we seek God until he either gives us peace in the midst of the storm or an answer to the situation? Will we fix ourselves and prevail in faith? And she did. So in faith, she prevailed, and God restored to her what had been lost, all was well. And so the woman received her son back to her, and their lives continued, right? Amazing, an amazing account of standing in faith, prevailing in faith. But again, just as we said earlier, the story wasn't over there. Just because God did two miracles in her life, it's not like said, all right, well, thanks for, uh, thank you so much for believing today. Now you can both go to heaven, and your story's over here on earth. Clearly it didn't, right? So we wonder, you know, what, what else happened? The sun continued to rise. Their lives continued to go on. Were their days peaceful? Did they never have any problems again? Interestingly enough, the Bible gives us a little insight into that very question. You've been in 2 Kings chapter 4. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 8. Just a few chapters over, 2 Kings 8, starting at verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 8, starting at verse 1. Elisha had told the woman whose son he had brought back to life, take your family and move to some other place, for the Lord has called for a famine on Israel that will last for seven years. So the woman did as the man of God instructed. She took her family and settled in the land of the Philistines for seven years. Now, if the ordeal of losing her son and getting him back wasn't enough, now this woman is being told to take her family, leave her home, and move somewhere, anywhere, except where she was at the moment. Now, in her previous steps in her walk of faith, she gave of herself. Then later, she prevailed. She fixed herself firm until the promise was fulfilled. Now, God, what he was telling her to do was to sojourn. Sojourn means to travel, to step off the road that she was familiar with, and to detour into a new place, to be a stranger in a foreign land. Now, what do we see her response was in verse 2? It was simply faithful obedience. She didn't fight it. She didn't complain. She didn't throw her hands in the air, though she had plenty of reason to. If we want to look at it in the natural, like, hasn't this poor woman been through enough? 
Who knows how many years they tried to have a child. Then they go through the ordeal of finally getting a child and literally losing the child. And then God brings them back. And now, just years later, you know, just several years down the road, now she's being told, I want you to go ahead and take everything that you know, everything in your life, everything that you hold dear, and I want you to pick up and I want you to get out because there's famine coming to the land. And it doesn't say that he told her to go to the land of the Philistines. It says that's where they wound up. He was like, just go somewhere, anywhere, but pick up and go. Like, how many of you know this, this poor woman's been through a little bit, right? Did she say, God, I mean, come on, man. Like, enough is enough. Like, in all respect, in all respect, Elisha, like, can we just have a come to Jesus meeting, you and me? Like, clearly, I get the whole thing about, you know, like, you know, the things about making you stronger, but I really feel like I've got the lesson, man. I really feel like I've got this lesson. Did she do any of that? I'm only, I'm making light of it, but there's been times in my life where I've done that. There's probably some of you in this room who have done that. But what she did was she responded in faithful obedience. Verse 2 says, so the woman did as the man of God instructed. Doesn't say exactly how she did it, but she did it. They picked up, they left. I can't believe I'm going through one more thing. Haven't I been through enough? That is not how verse 3 starts. I believe her response in verse 2 mirrored what would be Paul's example thousands of years later. I know the one in whom I trust, and I'm sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. God has been faithful to me before. He will not let me down now. This is where we must see the example for us, church. Now, look, at this point, it was a simple go and do. There was no promise given, no real plan laid out. God simply told her to do something, and the results of the step of faith that she had made before time and again in her life were the ones that she would have to remember to help her and her family now. There may be times in our lives where we're called out of the safe and the comfortable, and it may seem like there's no plan. And try as we may to hear from God, the heavens are absolutely silent, and we're left with nothing but the last thing that he told us. In these times of sojourning, if we know that God has called us there, we can be assured that he will be there with us whether we feel it or not whether we have a plan or not, whether we have the details laid out or not, if he sent us there, he will be with us there. Will we trust that all is well? If we know the one in whom we trust, each day of our walk of faith is a matter of, like we're told to do with our soap, wash, rinse, and repeat. Does that make sense? We know that soap makes us clean. We trust that it does the job it's supposed to do. As such, we do not have to be told every morning, what do I need to do? What must I do with this? What is this weird thing in my hand? It says it on the box. It says it on the bottle, whatever you choose to use. Wash, rinse, repeat. We know that soap works. We trust it to work. And each day we step out in faith trusting that soap will make us clean. It doesn't matter if we're having a bad day or not. It doesn't matter if we feel like garbage or not. Our circumstances do not change the truth. 
Our circumstances do not change the truth. <laughs> Wash, rinse, repeat. So let's close things up here. Let's, let's start bringing this in with the Shunammite woman's story. Did she do that? Did she do that? How did they wind up? Let's, let's pick it back up at verse three. After the famine ended, she returned from the land of the Philistines and she went to see the king about getting back her house and land. As she came in, the king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. The king had just said, tell me some stories about the great things Elisha has done. And Gehazi was telling the king about the time Elisha had brought a boy back to life. And at that very moment, the mother of the boy walked in to make her appeal to the king about her house and land. Look! My Lord, the king, Gehazi exclaimed, here's the woman now, and this is her son, the very one Elisha brought back to life. Is this true? The king asked her, and she told him the story. Can you imagine how cool she must have been? Well, now that you ask. So he directed one of his officials to see that Everything she had lost was restored to her, including the value of any crops that had been harvested during her absence. As his family faithfully sojourned, God had essentially, look at it this way, church, God had essentially saved this time not just the life of her son, but all of their lives by getting them out of a famine. Sometimes we have to remember the things that may be difficult for us are literally God saving our lives. Okay, He had literally saved all of their lives this time by having them leave their land, but they had to trust in his goodness to see that happen. But now the time came where that season was over, and they came home. But instead of moving back into this next season of their lives, starting from scratch, God used an ordeal that they had faithfully walked through years before to not only restore what they had lost, but also give them more than they had before they left. The very trial, church, that you walked through in the past could be the very thing that God uses to set you up for blessing in the future. I'm going to say that again. The very trial that you've walked through in the past or are walking through right now could be the very thing that God uses to set you up for blessing and promise and purpose in the future. What I'm saying this morning is not some sort of you know, positive, the power of positive thinking thing that I think is just so easy to do because I stood up here and held a mic and told you to do it. I get it, church. In the natural, sometimes it's hard. Do you think it was easy for this woman to do all of these things? It probably was not. Every one of us in here has stories that we've walked through or circumstances, I should say, not stories, has circumstances that we've walked through or are walking through right now. And it's not easy. God sees that. But will we trust in his goodness and trust in his goodness to see that on the other side, man, I was with you the whole time. We don't always know the purpose of the things that we go through, but we can rest assured that God goes through them with us. Amen? Let me say that again. We don't always know the purpose of the things that we go through, but we can rest assured that God goes through them with us. And as we continue to know and as we continue to grow with him each day, we can fully say, like Paul, no matter what we may go through, I know the one in whom I trust, and I'm sure that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until the day of his return. And as I prepared for this message, I thought about the fact that this Shunammite family walked through a great many hard things. 
But you know, the interesting thing is they were all things that the Lord was aware of. He didn't cause the problems that they went through, but he used them for his glory as this Shunammite woman walked through them in faith. You know, so many of us in this room, as I just said, have walked through trials and testings. Some we've been faithful in and we've seen God's goodness in and some we may have not been so successful at in trusting God to see us through. And as I thought about all that this week as I was just having all of these thoughts in my head as I was preparing, you know, I, I thought about how God knows what's going on And sometimes it's easy, right, to be like, God, I do trust. You know, your word says that you know all things. So, God, I I know that you see what I'm going through. Like, can we talk? Like, you see what I'm going through, right? You know what I'm going through. Again, I'm not saying in the natural that it's easy, church. All the different ups and downs that I've had in my life, all the different ups and downs that you've had in your life, as we've walked in faith, and I felt like God spoke this one thing while I was in prayer this past Wednesday here at the church. I do not play games with your lives. I do not play games with your lives. Since we're coming in for a close today, I wanted to give one final story. This message... um, for this week was, uh, I actually wrote it using a framework on a message I preached years ago. It's a different message now, but I, I used the framework for it. And um, with God, I, I rewrote it all this week for today. But when I originally wrote the, the, the original um, version of this message, I sat down and I shared the notes with my father. Because as I said at the beginning of the uh, service, my father, for those of you who don't know, was a pastor for many, many years. And um, at that time, I was on staff with him, and he'd asked me to speak for him rather quickly due to the fact that, among other health issues at the time, his diabetes was beginning to badly progress, and he was starting to not be able to see. So I got this call from him like, hey, I need you to preach this Sunday, and probably next Sunday too, and we need to talk about some things. So again, like I said, my father was a pastor. I had the privilege at that time... um, my, past, uh, my father, is, he's just only recently retired from lead pastoring. Some of you know him. He's a pastor for many, many years. And eight of those years, I had the privilege of serving with him on staff at his church. And, you know, there came a time where his health was in decline greatly, the stress and the busyness, as we've been talking about for the last number of weeks. The busyness of ministry had begun to take its toll. And one day, he went to his doctor, and he got some pretty crushing news, multiple crushing newses. As a matter of fact, it wasn't just one thing. It was multiple things. It was an annual checkup. Um, And I won't get into all the details, but needless to say, his bill of good health had been revoked. And he had taken a really serious hit, and it wasn't great. And so as we sat in my office and I outlined for him what I was going to, you know, be speaking on that Sunday, which ironically, he normally didn't do. So I'd preach for him several times. Um, you know, during that, and he normally didn't be like, hey, I want to I wanna hear what you're going to be speaking on, you know, I mean, there was, you know, not that he didn't care, but there was just, there was trust there, but for some reason, he said, hey, I, I want to meet with you in your office today, and I want you to tell me what you're speaking about, so as we sat in my office, going over the notes, my dad's assistant walked in and said that he had a phone call, and it was from Mr. Fred Rhodes, and I know none of you know Mr. Fred Rhodes, but Mr. Fred was an elderly gentleman in our church. He was one of the founding families of our church. 
And uh, he had been there from the beginning as a young man, and now as an elderly man, when Mr. Fred spoke, you listened. He was one of those guys. Big, tall, gentle giant of a man, but if you didn't know him, he didn't look like such a gentle giant, you know. So when he spoke and he had this really deep voice, you listened. And so my dad's assistant walked in and said, hey, Mr. Fred's on the phone for you. So my dad took the call. And what happened was at that moment, at that exact moment in my office, Mr. Fred had called the office and he said, Pastor, the Lord has given me a word for you. And I won't do the imitation the whole time, just to let you know it was this really deep voice. But he said that the Lord had woken him up that morning at 6 a.m. with a word for my dad. And he was immediately going to call my dad and give it to him, but the Lord said, don't call. And multiple times in that morning, he tried and tried, and God would not allow him to call. And then finally, God told him, call him now. And at the exact moment that God told Mr. Fred to call my dad, dad took the call. We were sitting in my office going over these very scriptures about the Shunammite woman on a message that I would preach that Sunday that nobody else knew about. And Mr. Fred gets on the phone and says, the Lord would say to you that even as the Shunammite woman, the report that you have been given is not unto death, but I will restore you from it and I will teach you through it. Wow. Just in case you wondered if God wasn't real. And... Um, you know, in the weeks that followed, my dad didn't give in to the fatigue and the busyness and the crushing despondency that could have come from all the bad reports that he was given. He didn't give up. He trusted in God's faithfulness. He trusted in the word that he received. And he got on a seriously intentional path to better health. And he was so successful with it that he actually asked the doctors to document that he no longer needed to take his prescribed diabetes medication because he stopped taking it because he didn't need it. And they were like, you don't need this. He's like, I want that in writing. That's how serious he got. That's how fast it happened. And my dad would later tell me that God showed him, I could have healed you immediately, but you would have learned nothing from it. Again, let me reiterate, God doesn't play games with our lives. As his word says in Romans 8, 28, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Again, he doesn't cause the things that we go through, but he will take them if we will walk in faith and he will use them for his glory and to propel us into the purpose and the promise and the destiny, the things that he has for us. Is it always easy? Of course not. But will we trust, just as a Shunammite woman did, that if we walk with the Lord, that all is well? Today, can we look at Scripture and in times in our own life where God came through and recognized his faithful power to do it over and over again? Church, if he was faithful then, won't he be faithful now? So let's continue to intentionally look at his past track record. Let's realize that his faithful power that accomplished all of those victories before is still here today tomorrow and beyond. Each day, church, let's make the decision to trust in all of him for all of us and know that in him, all is well. Amen? Thank you. Can you guys just stand to your feet, please? If you can, just close your eyes. So, you know, obviously, Pastor Tommy, what an 
What an excellent message, excellent communication, as always. Um, love the sense of humor, but, but there's, some, there's some weighty things in there that I think it would be really easy for us just to go, okay, that's awesome, and roll out the door. But if we did, we would be doing uh, ourselves and the Holy Spirit uh, some injustice. Amen. So um, I have a lot of things that I want to say. I'm just not so sure if I'm supposed to say them. Uh, but 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 there's one thing I feel released that I will say to you is at the core of this, understand that whatever you're going through, if God is so intentional and he really cares about every detail of your life, then it's good to pause and ask God, why am I going through this? Right? Like that last story that he shared about who we know as PT or Pastor Tommy Sr., uh, you, you know, that it's real easy for God to give us quick fixes uh, but, but what is he wanting to formulate in doing you? Because I do know this, that there's times that God will let promises and dreams die so that he can resurrect it for his purpose. And, uh, and so I got, a, I got a hunch that that's probably for someone today, um, but, but the Holy Spirit needs to be the one that really highlights that. So, so I think the two questions, once again, what are we going to ask? God, what are you saying? And what are we going to do about it? So um, I, I want to challenge you with something after Tommy prays and closes us out. Uh, there's a part of me that wants to tell everybody to go grab a few people and pray with each other. Uh, but, but I'll leave that up to you. But I do want to encourage you to do this. If there's something that the Lord has spoken to you today, do not leave this place without grabbing an individual um, and just saying, hey, I feel like this part was for me. Can you pray for me about it? And, uh, and just, look, we're a family, and uh, we're here to walk together. And sometimes it does us some good to have somebody that can come alongside of us later and go, hey, how's that going? And a lot of times because we live in secret and we don't live with vulnerability, uh, we, we miss the true fruits and benefits of walking as a family and walking as the body of Christ uh, together. So if you can, let's do this. And, and if... Um, if you're comfortable with it or not, if you're physically able, can you please just lift both hands? Say this to me. Say, Holy Spirit, open my eyes and open my heart so that I can see and receive everything that you have for me today. Well, stay with that posture. waiting on him Lord I thank you that you are a God who speaks you are not a God that is silent you are a God who reveals himself to us Lord the ways that you choose to do it are amazing and magnificent and individual to each one of us. And so, Father, I pray right now, God, that each one of us, Lord, would lean into you and hear your voice, God, whether it's through someone speaking to us, whether it's through that still small voice that we recognize on the inside, Lord, or whether you speak to us audibly, however you choose to do it, God, 
May we be a people that lean in and listen to what you have to say. Thank you that you speak because when you speak, you continue to remind us, Lord. When you move, you continue to remind us. When you comfort, when you restore, you remind us that you are not some dead God, but that you are alive and living and you are active in us. And that is why we can proclaim your word, just as Paul said thousands of years ago, that we know the one in whom we trust. And Lord, that we can walk in a confidence and an assurance that you will keep what we have entrusted to you as we have surrendered our very lives to you. And if there's anyone in this room today that has not surrendered your life to Jesus, these altars are open. Or as PQ said, find someone to pray with you if, that, if you want to choose that. But I challenge you today, if you have not surrendered your life, if you have not entrusted your life to God and you feel that pull, you feel that, that tugging from him to do so, then I challenge you, I encourage you, I beg you, please, please surrender to the pull and the call of the Lord. Those of us in this room that have said that, God, I trust my life to you. I have entrusted my life to you, God, and I am confident that you will keep it until the day that you return. Lord, I thank you that we continue to walk. We continue to walk in faith to you. We continue to walk in faith, Lord, to all the promises that you have spoken, all of the promises that you have made, Lord, in your word and to us that are yes and they are amen. And Lord, that we will prevail, Lord, that we will fix ourselves when it is necessary. Lord, that we will move, Lord, when it is necessary. But Lord, in all things that we will trust in you, God, that no matter what, in you, all is well. Be with us as we go today, Father. Continue to encourage us and speak to us, Lord. And whatever you want to do in these next moments, have your way, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.